Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them round your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favour and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Here ends the Bible reading. Living God, we are hungry for your wisdom this morning, and so that we ask you that you would, by the power of your spirit, speak and change us by your word. Amen. Well, please uh, take a seat. Um, There should be a picture coming up on the screen behind me of uh, a bridge. Uh, It's a little bit of a different bridge, though. It's a bridge with a glass bottom. Um, it's in a place that I can't pronounce, somewhere in central China. I wonder how you would feel about uh, crossing that bridge. Uh, I can see that some of you, uh, your palms are getting a sweaty, uh, knuckles are getting white, just uh, thinking about the idea. This uh, bridge is about 430 meters uh, long. Um, the chasm that it stretches over, and it is a chasm, uh, is about 1,000 feet deep. I wonder how you would feel putting one foot in front of another as you stepped onto that bridge. I guess that you would feel pretty uncomfortable. And why? Well, because to get across to the other side, then you need to ignore what your eyes are telling you. Namely, that there is only a thin, fragile piece of glass between you and hundreds of feet of air below. You must trust in the bridge's ability enough to literally place your life in its hands. And as Christians, we are asked to do something similar. We are asked to put our trust in something that at first glance may seem fragile and foolish. And that's exactly what the writer in Proverbs 3 is asking us to do as well. In the first couple of chapters of the book, as Ben said earlier, uh, we've been focusing on wisdom. Uh, on the value of wisdom, of how uh, true life can be found when we start by fearing and respecting God. But now in uh, chapter 3, King Solomon, who's put these uh, writings uh, together, wants us not just to hear and understand God's wisdom, but to trust God with all our hearts and to stop leaning on our own understanding. He wants, as it were, for us to put a foot on that bridge Uh, to place our weight upon the reality of God's promises to us, and by doing so, enjoy the freedom and life that comes from knowing him as our God. But like stepping onto that glass bridge, this is not something that is easy or necessarily comfortable for us to do. 
And these verses in Proverbs chapter 3 um, give us reasons and show us how uh, we can do that, even uh, when it looks counterintuitive. And we're going to look at uh, three uh, lessons uh, from Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. And the first one is this, in verses 1 to 4. Know God's love. Solomon begins the chapter as if he is talking to his own son, uh, begging him to listen uh, to his father. Now, I guess uh, if any of you um, have kids, then um, you'll know what that feels like. I don't know if you've had that experience of, uh, of saying to your children, what did I just say? And sometimes they can parry it back to you, can't they? But you know that they haven't taken any notice of what you're trying to tell them. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what Solomon wants here. He wants us to listen, not just so that we can repeat back to him his words, but so that we might live by them. Look at verse 1. Solomon reasons, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Why? For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Solomon doesn't just want us to have academic knowledge about God or about the Bible. No, this is teaching that tells us and shows us how to live. And the first lesson here is that we should know God's love, or rather that we should hold on to God's love for us by immersing ourselves in God's word. Look at verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Those two words uh, which we've got translated here, steadfast love, um, are just one word in the original Hebrew. And it's a word that you'll find throughout the Old Testament, especially uh, in the first five books where God is setting out his law. And it always refers to God's covenant, promise-making love to his people. It's that love which makes one-sided commitments from God to his people to bless them and keep them. It's a love which is always faithful and always true. And Solomon says to us, don't let that love forsake you. Which at first glance doesn't make a lot of sense because God will never leave us or forsake us and his love is perfect and faithful and true so what does he mean well the clue is in those uh, those actions that he tells us to take in verse three bind them round your neck write them on the tablet of your heart there is no danger that god will forget his love to us but there is a danger that we will forget it Some of you uh, will remember this man, uh, Jonathan Edwards, um, famous British athlete, famous for competing and winning gold medals uh, in the triple jump. Famous also uh, as a Christian um, and as someone who took his faith uh, very seriously um, to the extent that he would refuse to compete in fairly major uh, competitions on a Sunday uh, because of his faith in God. Uh, Sadly, now, however, Jonathan Edwards has walked away from his faith. Uh, Next slide is a picture uh, of a guy called Josh Harris. He is a Christian author, also uh, until recently the pastor of a fairly large uh, church in the States. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, he declared that uh, he is no longer in any uh, meaningful way uh, a follower of Jesus. Now, I don't know either of these men, and 
I don't know the personal circumstances or the reasons that uh, they've given uh, for walking away from God's love. And our prayer is, of course, that that situation will only be temporary. The point, though, is this. Faith is not automatic. Faith is not uh, the default. There is no danger that God's love will let us go, but there is a danger that we will walk away from it. Rarely does that happen overnight, but more often gradually, slowly, piece by piece, over time. And none of us, as these examples show, are immune from that danger. So what should we do to guard against it? What does Solomon advise us to do? Well, simply, we are to hold fast to God and to his promises, and we are to do so actively. Uh, The language uh, in these verses would have been very familiar to the original readers. Uh, They're really similar to words from uh, Deuteronomy, in particular Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God is speaking to his people just after he's given them the Ten Commandments. And he says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. God wants us not just to read his words, not just to know them, but to take them to heart. He wants us to know him and to love him, and to day by day place our faith in him through them. And so Solomon isn't here asking us to... uh, just be able to recall verses so that we can uh, look good in front of our, our Bible study group midweek or have an encyclopedic knowledge of, of the Old Testament prophets just for the sake of it. No, he wants us to live and breathe his word so that we would live and breathe his promises. As believers, uh, this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have God's Holy Spirit inside us to help us do that, to help us understand God's word and to help us take it to heart. And Solomon's point is that we need to do that. We need to ask for God's help and we need to immerse ourselves in God's word. We need not just to know it, but to love it. So what does that look like? If It's not just about knowing God's word, it's about loving it. Well, the best example I can think of is a person. It's a guy called Dick who I knew a few years ago and Sadly, he's, he's gone, well, I say sadly, happily, he's gone to be with uh, God now. I knew him only for a couple of years. Um, he was well into his 90s uh, when I first got to know him. And Dick was a man who loved God. Um, when you asked him what uh, he'd read in the Bible recently, his face lit up. And it lit up not just because he could tell you something interesting or, or new that he picked up, But because when you asked him about reading God's word or spending time with God in prayer, that's what he'd been doing. He'd been spending time with God, and he loved that. And those who choose to put their trust in God's word day by day don't just know about God, they know him. They have a relationship with him. I wonder how you are growing in your knowledge of God at the minute. Not just in your knowledge about him, but in your relationship with him. I wonder what the next step for you is. 
Uh, maybe you've been coming along to uh, church uh, for a while now um, and you're enjoying hearing about God on a Sunday. Maybe the next step for you would be uh, to join one of the midweek groups uh, where we get together in, in smaller groups in, in people's homes to uh, wrestle with God's word and to together help each other uh, work out what it means for our lives. You can speak to Ben about that, about getting involved in a group if that's you. Uh, maybe it's uh, getting into the habit or, or restarting the habit of regularly uh, being in God's word on a day-to-day basis. The summer can be a great time to restart, can't it? It can uh, be a problem because we, we get out of our routines, but it can also be an opportunity uh, for us to take time out to be with God and to establish new patterns. I guess a good question for us to ask is, what's the first thing on your mind uh, when you get a bit of free time? When you come in from work at the end of the day or um, you've got a bit of free time around lunch or um, if, like me, you spend uh, a lot of your working week uh, sitting on a train, where does your mind race to first? Do your hand uh, reach for BBC Sport or whatever else it is? Maybe we could redeem some of those times uh, by spending them with God. So that's lesson one. Hold on to God's covenant love by knowing him truly through his words. Second uh, lesson uh, is this. Trusting God means we stop relying on ourselves and choose to give him control of everything. Trusting God means we stop relying on ourselves and choose to give him control of everything. See, knowing God through his word is great, but it's not enough. We must choose to live by his words. Look at what verse 5 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Uh, I wonder what sort of uh, driver you uh, would think that I am. Uh, Let me give you a couple of uh, pieces of uh, information and some clues. Um, I can drive. I have passed my test. Passed my test when I was 17, the first time, just. Um, Haven't got any points on my license. Uh, Drive a pretty sensible people carrier. Uh, No Ferraris or Lamborghinis. What do you think? Do you think I'm a, I'm a good driver? Well, in a sense, it doesn't matter what you think or what you say, uh, to my face at least. If you're never willing to offer a lift, uh, uh, if you're never willing to accept the offer of a lift from me, then it suggests that you don't actually trust my driving. And if as Christians we say that we trust God and what his promises say to us, but the way that we live runs in an opposite direction then it suggests that we don't really trust God, at least not with all of our hearts. This isn't just about what we uh, choose to do on a Sunday morning. It's about the way that we deal with all of our lives, uh, with the way that we handle relationships with other people, with uh, the priorities that we set for our lives, Uh, the way we deal with money or uh, with health issues. If we're going to trust God, then God says it means doing it with all of our hearts and applying it to all of our ways, every aspect, every corner of our lives. That's what God asks of us 
everything. So our minds, our bodies, our bank balances, our homes, our careers, our families, our relationships, our desires, all is a very big word when you think about it. And we are used to being in control of those things. In fact, the world tells us that what our life is about really is understanding and controlling those things and bringing them into line with what we define as a good life. Uh, So whether it's working out what the right job is, whether it's the one that's most fulfilling to us or uh, the one that will pay us the most or the one that um, will gain us the most status with our friends Uh, or whether we're choosing a house and we're triangulating between the best kitchen size versus the best school place versus the most reasonable commute versus the sea view. Much of what we are told life is or about adult life is about is about taking control of the things in our lives and conforming them to our will. But God says, no. You're to trust me with all your heart and acknowledge me in all your ways. You're not to lean on your own understanding. You're to lean on my wisdom. That doesn't mean that we don't think about our jobs or our homes or um, our families and that we make uh, reasonable and wise decisions about these things. But the big difference is that we're not conforming them to our will. We're conforming them to God's. Why would we do that? Well, because of what we've already learned. That God is worth knowing because of who he is. And because of his love for us. And because living according to God's way is life. That's the argument that Solomon is making here. He says that if we trust God with all our hearts, then he'll make our path straight. It will be healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. In other words, it will be real and true and abundant life. Life as it is meant to be lived. Life the way it was designed to be. So how do you do it? How do you live like this? Well, we start by making God come first. Look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. In order to have this life, the order of our lives must be right. God comes first. We honor him uh, with the first fruits. That's an image uh, of the harvest being brought in by the farmer, pretty appropriate at this time of year. They were to bring in the crops and to give God the best of it. And so we are to give God the best of us. We are to honor him, not in a token way, not with what's left after we've taken our share. And when we do that, when we trust God with our wealth, with our security, with our lives, then we're in a position to receive his blessings. And God's blessings are not small. Uh, They are not piecemeal they're not uh, as little as he can get away with they are in contrast overwhelming and overflowing and generous but they're conditioned conditioned on one thing that we treat God as God that we trust in him with all our hearts and that we acknowledge him in all our ways I wonder what Uh, The thing is that you would be most nervous about handing control 
uh, over to God with. I guess for a lot of us, then, uh, it is what Solomon talks about here. It is our wealth, or it is the thing that produces our wealth, our, our job, our, our careers, our, um, our investments, our pensions, our, our rent. And for others, it's uh, something else, or it's somebody else. It's the desires that we uh, want to follow uh, that we know God has something to say about. But in order to enjoy God's blessing, in order order to live the life that is truly life, we must hand everything over to God. Of course, the reality is that we're not in control of our lives anyway, however much we might try and fool ourselves. And that comes painfully to bear, doesn't it, when uh, sickness or health or unemployment or relationships don't work out. And it hits us in the face. We thought we were in control. We thought we understood how to get out of this situation. We thought we knew how to live. But we didn't. We're not in control anyway. And the one who is in control, God, is the one who loves us. And the one who wants the very best for us. So lesson two, trusting God means willingly giving God control of everything in our lives and enjoying his blessings in return. Thirdly and finally, trusting God means accepting God's correction. God loves us enough to discipline us. Look at verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Trusting God uh, with all our hearts in all our ways is not easy. Uh, Like crossing that bridge, it requires us uh, to lean on something other than our own understanding. In fact, to trust in something that at first glance looks thin and fragile. Uh, That was the issue, wasn't it, in that reading we had from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. To the Jews and to the Greeks, the message of the cross looked like foolishness. And yet for us, it is life and power and wisdom. And sometimes our trust fails, doesn't it? Even though God is uh, perfectly reliable and he's perfectly faithful to us, we don't treat him in the same way. We choose uh, to forget or not to trust in his promises to us. And when we do that, uh, there are consequences. And sometimes God will open up, he'll, he'll show us a glimpse of what life lived without him looks like, and that can be painful. But what the writer here wants us uh, to know clearly is that God is not doing that because he doesn't love us, or because he wants to punish us, or, or shame us. Rather, he he corrects us, he disciplines us because he loves us. And we know, don't we, uh, that parents who love their children are willing to correct them, are willing to discipline them, even when that's hard. They need to guide them, they need to correct them. Why? Because children can do things that harm themselves. And it's the job of parents to guard them against that. And God does the same for us. And somebody uh, once said to me that uh, evangelical Christians, uh, Christians who go to churches like this where uh, they take God's word seriously and where they say that we trust in his promises are pretty good 
at saying that God loves them. You can say, yeah, we know God loves us because Jesus died for us to forgive our sins, to take the punishment that we deserve. God's shown me that he loves me. I know that. But what we're less good at doing is believing and trusting that God actually likes us. Solomon tells us that God delights in us as a father delights in his son. And so God loves us and keeps his promises to us, not because he's bound to, not because there's some kind of contractual tie-in that because Jesus died, then, then he, he has to do it. He wants to do it. He loves us before we loved him. His love for us is what sent Jesus to the cross in the first place, and he continues to love us with that love now. He loves us not under obligation, but freely and generously. And that love means that he's willing to correct us, that he's willing to talk tough to us. But he does that because he loves us, because he wants us to to bring us back into this life, which is really life. God loves us like the best of earthy parents turned up to 11. So he's willing to challenge us. He's willing to correct us. The only question is, will we listen to him or will we push him away? So God demands that we trust him with all our hearts and that we acknowledge him with all our ways. How do we do that? Well, we do that, one, by holding on to God's covenant love for us, by immersing ourselves in his promises. Secondly, we do that by stop relying on our own wisdom and by choosing to hand over control to God. And thirdly, we do that by knowing that God delights in us. And so we understand his rebuke and challenge, not of anger, but of words of love from a father who cares for us more than we can imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we find it hard to trust you with all our hearts. Lord, too often we do lean on our own understanding. Lord, so we ask for your help. We ask that you would help us to hold on to your love for us. We ask that you'd help us to trust in the promises that you have made for us. And we ask that you would help us to live in a way that honors you. Lord, that we would do that because we are sure of your love for and your delight in us. And Lord, that we pursue that life that is really life uh, when we live uh, in a way that honors you and which acknowledges you in all of our ways. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.